This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money, and I always try to find the best deal for sure um, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help uh, bring more in-person interviews, more travel more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of a, uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free, uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go, um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way, and uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing. And I thank you so much. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.
What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week, guys, we have a returning guest, one of my favorites. Um, I've done a lot of interviews where people ask me my favorite episode, and I always go with Rachel Midori. Um, She is an ex-porn star uh, working in fine dining now in New York City. Um, one of the realest conversations I've ever had in my life, um, back in Anaheim, uh, the first time she was on. So, uh, a lot of people had reached out wanting to see where she was at now and have us have another conversation. And so we hooked back up, um, while she was in New York and she is back on this week for a second time. And, uh, guys, it was even more intense and more, uh, real. It was absolutely, um, mind-boggling like usual um just a fascinating person you know um she's very young but been through so much um and has such a story to tell um there are a lot of triggers on this episode um so if you do have problems with uh you know suicide and depression um there's there's a lot of triggers on this episode uh, but i think it's gonna be very helpful uh, for people that are struggling uh, just like the last episode hearing someone else going through the same things. And, uh, you know, that's why I asked her back is because I, you know, I enjoy as, as intense and real as a conversation was, I enjoyed having that experience and it was just absolutely, you know, incredible. So, um, this one is, is not short of that either. It's, it's a really good conversation and, uh, I hope you guys enjoy it and, uh, you know, can get something out of it. Um, Rachel's just a fantastic person and, uh, you know, it's cool to meet her through this podcast and, and continue to keep in touch. So, uh, big thanks to her for coming on. So, uh, this one, I want to get right into it, but I want to get some business out of the way first guys. Like we always do. Um, our new sponsor Stumptown mattress has been absolutely fantastic. Um, the product is amazing. I've been sleeping on it for two weeks now and it just gets better and better. Uh, back pain, everything is just gone. Um, it's it's a miracle. I mean, I'm serious. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Stumptownmattress.com is the website uh, for you guys to check them out. The pricing is absolutely insane. And you know, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, delivery super fast, and a lot of times they do it in person. Um, otherwise, it's free shipping throughout the entire lower 48. And guys, I, I can't recommend them anymore. I mean, they are just fantastic. Michael and the crew over there have been great. Um, they've been very communicative with me um, on what they wanted. And has just been a great partner on the show. So guys, seriously, you know, you could listen to this episode laying on a brand new Stumptown mattress. You know what I mean? So absolutely go check them out. Stumptownmattress.com. And uh, another sponsor that came back is artistflags.com. Artistflags.com is another amazing sponsor. Um, they're making some flags for the studio, which you guys will see on some of the new stuff coming out. Um, and these guys do all the the backdrops, the scrims, amp cover, everything. So a lot of the bands you see playing live when that banner drops behind them, a lot of times that's artistflags.com uh, that's making that. So one of the big selling points for me with these guys is something they don't even advertise, but it's the turnaround time. So I ordered these flags, um, you know, last week. This was Friday of last week. They got the order in, and the the actual uh, flags themselves are made in China. 
uh, of the partner of theirs. And literally, I got the tracking number this morning. This is Monday. And it'll be here tomorrow from China, which I know a lot of guys um, and gals order things from China. It takes weeks. This is literally two days. Absolutely amazing. And that's just one of the things. I mean, the, the quality is insane. Um, I mean, they're fast. They know what they're doing. You send them a file. They'll tell you if it's right or wrong, what needs to be changed. So artistflags.com, Cody and the guys over there are absolutely fantastic. Check them out and let them know Dewey from Peer Pleasure sent you. So uh, guys, without further ado, I want to jump into this one. We, You guys know the socials. You know the website, peerpleasurepodcast.com. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email. Definitely reach out to me after this episode and let me know what you think. Um, I, I was just floored again with Rachel. Um, absolutely fantastic and real and down to earth. And you guys are going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, guys, let's jump into this episode, part two with Rachel Midori. so good to hear from you <laughs> i know how have you been how's the holiday happy new year oh same to you i've been good just been uh working like crazy and doing the show and and uh kids and all that stuff keeps me pretty busy oh, all that fun stuff <laughs> yeah yeah but uh i'm stoked to hear what's uh what's happening with you and uh kind of continue continue the journey that was uh, that last episode was one of my favorites. I have, I've been asked a bunch of times what my favorite episode was, and I was like, "Man, I keep going back to this one because it was it was incredibly uh, deep, but also I mean, just fascinating." And and uh, I don't know, it just seemed like one of the most real conversations I'd ever had on the show, and it was it was uh, cool to see people enjoyed it too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got a lot of good feedback from it, so that was good. I'm glad that it's one of your favorites. That makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I, it's already recording. I just usually start it when I call on the phone interviews anyway. But, uh, yeah, are you all good to go then? Yeah, yeah, we're good. 
Yeah, I'm all set. Okay. Well, Rachel Midori, welcome back to the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. It's awesome. You're in New York this time. Last time we were in uh, Anaheim, California, and uh, yes. you've since moved back. I have. I am back home in beautiful Brooklyn, so that was really exciting. I did a cross-country road trip uh, last spring. Mm-hmm. My husband and I drove across. We took a whole month off to go across the country. Oh, and I got married since you talked to me, too, yes. so a bunch of, a bunch of different things. <laughs> Yeah, my year, it's New Year, so my year has been crazy, so I took the cross-country road trip, came back home to New York, got hit by a cab, was disabled, got married, I'm opening a restaurant right now. <laughs> Everything since you've spoken to me is very different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what prompted the move back to New York? We can start there because, uh, I mean, you were, you were basically, you were working in fine dining in L.A., you were with your fiancé in L.A., um, and everything was kind of transitioning. You were starting sommelier school. Um, I believe you started it there, right? You were already doing it in L.A.? Well, I was studying wine and fine dining in L.A. under my mentor. Um, but the reason I moved is actually because American Sommelier Association, the school that I attended uh, and had just finished, that is in Manhattan. So that was the main reason for moving back was so I'd be able to go to that school um, and study there. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. That makes sense. So that prompted the move. So tell me about this cross-country road trip you said was kind of a crazy adventure vacation yeah it was it was great so i've driven cross country twice before but i was very young so i couldn't i couldn't really remember it um basically i mean my fiance at the time and i packed up our tiny studio apartment into our prius and we just left um and we started a drive and i actually logged the entire trip on my blog um videos photos restaurant uh, bar reviews places we stopped um, and we drove the southern route, so we went down through Texas, Louisiana, stopped uh, at Vegas on the way, but we made sure to spend at least two or three days in, in each city, and we just ate everything, drank everything. Um, it was fun. It was crazy. I've never really spent that much time in the South, so good food. People are different. It was cool. I'm one of those people that doesn't really think anything exists besides anything in LA and anything in New York. (laughs) I'm like, all right, East coast, West coast. And there's a bunch of stuff in the middle and I don't know anything about it. So that was, that was pretty cool. And it was actually honestly really awesome watching how people and cuisine kind of changed as we moved from state to state, as we drove in the middle of nowhere, um, and there were some scary, I mean, scary places. We're driving for two hours in the middle of nowhere with no signal, no lights, no nothing. There's a lot of nothing out there. Sure. Um, but it was, it was fun. And when we're coming up, we're coming up the East Coast and we had to actually pull in uh, for the night or two nights because there were some really crazy tornadoes once we hit kind of Tornado Alley. Which I wasn't used to because I was living in LA for so many years, and 60 degrees and sunny was the only thing I knew existed. So <laughs> we pull over, we're trying to make a straight shot for New Orleans, which was crazy. We ended up there on uh, St. Patty's Day. So that was just a crazy animal in itself. Um, so we're driving up, we pull over because we get stuck in some tornadoes. And we get back out on the road, we're driving up, and that really crazy nor'easter in the spring hit. and 
we're trying to just push through and drive home, but we're in this Prius. It's snowing. I literally see cars flying off the road. So we have to pull over again for another night and stay in. Um, so it was it was just, you know, crazy adventure trying to get back home as soon as we hit the East Coast. We're all like, what is all this weather? What is the snow? What are these tornadoes? You know, put our bodies back in shock, getting back to Brooklyn and freezing but i think i've acclimated now i can walk outside without wearing head coats so <laughs> we, we made it home and it's nice it's nice because both our families are are close by they're in jersey so it's been really nice kind of reconnecting with them and being closer to them and also jumping into you know my industry in new york which is you know really different a lot more fast-paced and a lot more cutthroat in uh in new york city so that was really fun jumping back into that sure sure well that sounds amazing like and it's it's cool to kind of find yourself on a road trip. I think everyone needs to do it at some point. Take a, you know, two three weeks and just go get a car and just go and kind of find out more about yourself. But at the same time, that gave you a lot of time to really kind of, uh, I would expect, break free from L.A. life and kind of get out there and kind of reset your reset your clock and everything else before you got home. Instead, of just flying home or, you know, taking a straight shot. You had time to kind of. Uh, uh, think about things I'm sure and, and just kind of get your mind right before you got home yeah it was it was definitely like a reset button as much as I would love to go on a vacation you know in Peru or Tokyo or do something like that you know it may have been simple a little road trip but it was just it was because it, it took so long I mean it was a month of not working and kind of just you know figuring myself out I mean I was stuck in a tiny car with no back seat because all all of our belongings were in it with uh, with Zach for a month. So if yeah. we could get through that and not go crazy and not get into a single fight, you know, <laughs> I think I think that was another that was another trial for both of us. So that was a good thing to do. You know, if you think you love someone, go go on a trip in a in a tiny in a tiny little car for a month and see how see how long that lasts. Man, it's hard enough riding around in a Prius with nothing in it versus an entire. Yeah, apartment. I know. No guys, you know, not we couldn't throw anything in the trunk. We couldn't buy anything unless it fit in the glove box. It was. You couldn't put your seat back and sleep. Oh my god! It oh was, shit! It, it was crazy. fun. Yeah. Well, now you have stories to tell and and everything else. I mean, that's yeah. It's just like touring. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, we have so many stories and a lot of our friends in LA. And you know, they're like, "What do you, you know, do? What are you planning?" And I was like, "Dude, we packed up our apartment. You know, the day our lease ended, and we just just put in New York on our GPS and just left." You know, so it was, it was fun. It was spontaneous, and you know, I feel like everyone has to kind of do something crazy like that. You know, it wasn't planned out really well. I mean, we saved up some money, but we just left and you know stopped where we could on the way. Restaurants that we wanted to or heard of. We asked locals where to go eat. So, uh, and it was cool being able to kind of document everything on my blog. You know, each city we stopped in and all the pictures and everything like that. So sure. I think that was fun. To, uh, a few people followed along. We had like a little interactive map, you know, where we were uh, at each moment, which was cool. Uh, so it was definitely fun, and it was kind of a cool experience that I could share with all my fans. Nice. That's awesome. And and so what is it like for you guys to go? I mean, when you guys – so I'm a musician, so when I listen to a record, like I pick – I listen to it differently than most people. And I'll pick it apart, and I'll I'll hear different parts and different uh, 
I mean, everything in my mind, it just shifts to like I'm sitting in a studio and I'm breaking everything into tracks and things like that. When you guys work, because you guys both work in, in the fine dining industry now, right? Zach works for, he was a, uh, working in a restaurant as well, right? Yes, yeah, he's a, he's a chef. So and, um, when you guys go to uh-huh. a restaurant, do you go in with like an open mind? Do you go, I mean, because... Granted, probably most places in the country aren't going to be like the Michelin-rated restaurants of New York and L.A., but are you guys able – or do you guys try to shut your brain off and just kind of enjoy it, or do you actually go in and it's kind of <laughs> – you can't? I, I – you know what? I – him and I have had those conversations so many times when we really, really just want to go out and have a nice meal, you know, and when you can't have that – you can't have that extra that's going to be fun dining and I'm not bougie you know that's my especially my old passion about wine and everything you know it's a very pretentious industry and I don't want to judge anyone I don't want to be this you know bougie ridiculous impossible to please person you know you're going to McDonald's they're getting McDonald's yeah you know so I don't expect that but there are I can't there's no way I can shut it off you know I know every <laughs> restaurant and like what to expect and but I am still, you know, appalled at some things sometimes if I go somewhere and, you know, things aren't done properly to the to the smallest extent. I've worked in casual. I've worked my way up from wall places to really, you know, fine dining. But I can't. I can't shut it off. And him and I will walk into a restaurant or something and something will happen. And immediately, you know, that's what we're going back and forth. I'm going on about service or what happened with the server, you know, how they sat us or how they said hello to us, how the service is going immediately as soon as the food hits, you know, he's going on about the food, even if we weren't expecting this great experience. And we're, we're never the people, unless it's really bad, that will complain. We're never the people that even it's very hard for me to send something back if it's not what I ordered or if it's not what I like. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I try and I can understand their perspective, but, you know, if you're not doing your job to a hundred percent. If you're being mediocre, I, I will, I will notice it and depending on my mood or how bad you fucked up. I'll say something, but no, I can't, I can't just go somewhere and enjoy me. And I've, we haven't, and I have talked about it. He's asking himself, have, like, can we even enjoy going out to eat? Cause we pick it apart so easily. Cause I'll go out with my family or my mother who is really into food and really into cuisine and, it's like a foodie and a wino and we'll go out to a dinner and she'll be really, really amazed by it. And it's very hard for me to be that excited about it because I just, I just pick it apart and I could go out and have a really good meal, but you know, it it rarely shuts off. It's just, it's my job. It happens all the time. If you go anywhere and that's your career and you are good at it and someone is doing it wrong you're gonna notice right away there's just no bullshit (laughs) i wanted to ask you that for a while because i was just curious about that like i because i literally like with music i can't i can't i just can't shut it off like i have to just go through it with a fine-tooth comb and it would just be frustrating because like you know music's important but you have to eat so like you have to constantly you mean if you're not eating at home you have to go somewhere and you're not gonna be able to shut that off and then just either be let down or you know completely amazed but i would sure i would assume it's probably let down more often than amazed yeah you're you're usually i have to i have to work on kind of compartmentalizing that 
Because sometimes I'll go to I'll, I'll go to a chain to eat, or I'll go to somewhere that I know doesn't have good service. I know the servers, you know, aren't passionate in doing this because it's their career. Because usually when people look at serving or restaurants, they don't see it, you know, as a career. Yeah. So I can go into Applebee's, for example, and have a meal. And each time I have a meal, I am still pissed off if the food isn't good, even though I know it's microwave or if the service isn't good, even though I know that a lot of people don't take pride in that, in that job. Yeah. It's still, it still to this day surprises me. The only, I'm never, I'm just never disappointed by fast food. There's a, there's a fast food place right across the street from me called Crown Fried Chicken. That's all it's called. The service is great. And the food is amazing, and it cost me six bucks for a burger. But I have had better service at that place than some of the finest restaurants. So I can enjoy a meal sometimes. But, yeah, if you're not doing it right, I notice. And <laughs> it's kind of ruined me going out to eat. Not sure. ruined it, but it still works when I go out to eat. It just it doesn't go off. Well, at least that your husband's off. a chef. So, I mean, you have that option at home, and then you can pair the wine. I do. I can't. I compare the wine. Um, it's difficult, though, because when he comes home from work, the last thing he wants to do is cook. Sure. We rarely, rarely, I mean, we keep food in the house, but it's usually kind of just meal preps, healthy meal preps, you know, that we make for the whole week. So it's, you know, chicken, vegetables, fucking thrown into some Tupperware, <laughs> just so we, when we're home, because we lose the amount of time we're home, because we're not home a lot, because our careers take up so much of our time. You know, the last thing he wants to do is come home and cook. Everyone's like, you know, you're married to a chef. It's supposed to be so great. And I'm like, it's really not. If I want to go eat at the restaurant he works at, it's great. Yeah. But if either of us are home, the last thing we want to be doing is drinking. The last thing we want to be doing is eating. The first thing we want to be doing is sleeping. Because yeah. that's what we want to do. We want to <laughs> sleep so we can wake up and go do it. Go do it tomorrow. I see, I mean, I see my restaurant family the more than I see my own husband. I'll be asleep by the time he gets home. Uh, I'm waking up and leaving some days before he's up. So our schedules are just crazy, but we make it work. I always have one day off of him, but he has a day off just so I can remember I'm married and remember I have a life. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, it's fun. Though. It's and I thought about it for a while. I thought about kind of leaving it doing something else but I've always been centered around wine I didn't know if I wanted to go on the more on the etiology perspective and farm and create a farm and do harvest and all that I wasn't sure if I wanted to go in the science perspective and study the biology behind it so I mean I'm still kind of finding my way I do enjoy being in the restaurant and being a sommelier more because I get to interact with people a lot more which is great um, but I did think about changing it just because I sometimes I would like to have a nine to five. Sometimes I would like to know what it was like to we call them day walkers to mm -hmm. see the day and hang out. Yeah. Not sleep until noon because you gotta go work until one in the morning and especially now with helping manage it, you know, open this new restaurant. It's just it's chaotic. I've never opened one before. I'm lucky that I'm working with some really great people that have done it before and are successful restaurant tours but yeah. it's just a lot of it's a lot of work from the ground up and it's it's crazy it's just fun i'm very lucky to be in this position at this age which is great yeah you're doing you're doing a lot of awesome shit and at the same time it seems like everything you put your mind to you just make happen like it's really inspiring because 
you know, we talked about these things before and now they're happening or have happened or are happening, you know, and, and, uh, it's just cool to see. I mean, so when you got home, um, when you got home to, to New York, I want to talk, I saw it on Instagram. I was like, Oh shit. You got hit by a cab. I know. It's a really great welcome home present. Tell me this story because this is, I mean, I followed it on Instagram, but tell me the story. How did it happen? And then what, how you were in recovery forever. Like it seemed like it was just going on and on and on. Yeah, it was, it was a while. I was getting out of, I was gone out of school. I was in a real, it was crazy because everything was going really right up until, you know, we got there, we got to New York, we got our apartment I had started school. We were doing wedding planning at the time since we got married in September. And this happened in June. And it had just been a really great day. I did a menu tasting for my wedding. I went to class and was headed to the subway. I had a little bit too much to drink just because I was in class. And I went to my wine tasting and my menu tasting. But I was crossing the road up the east side. And I just I was on my phone. I didn't look both ways. And... The cab hit me, hit me right over my foot, flew me back to the sidewalk. You know, and I'm laying on the ground, and I had a concussion, and I came to, and there's just everyone on the cell phone taking videos, taking pictures. The people helped me up. Uh, the cops came. I don't really remember much because it was just really, really traumatizing. And uh, I got brought to the hospital, and I had, I, there were tire tracks on my feet. And it had completely, completely broken my foot, and I was disabled. I was in the hospital for a few days, and I was, I was disabled all, all summer. Um, I had to. I remember the first day that I could curl my toes. It was a crazy feeling. I woke up the first day that I was home from the hospital, and you know, you wake up and you crack your toes in the morning. And I'd done that because I was so used to having a foot. And I felt the bones move around, and it was so excruciating. But it was really depressing. It was really humbling. Um, I couldn't get down my stairs. I couldn't go get food. I was completely, you know, left to left to my apartment unless someone was there to help me. I remember crawling down the stairs to get to the deli across the street to get something to eat, and I realized I couldn't get back up the stairs on my crutches. So I'm pulling myself with my upper body up the stairs, crawling. It was, it was really, it was just a lot. And, you know, not being able to move, not being able to do anything except sit on your couch and watch TV, not being able to work out, constantly needing someone's help or needing someone to come over and help you. It really made me have a perspective on people who are permanently disabled because I'm young. I've always been used to being like, get up, get up on my feet, go do something. Yeah. It really, and it did. It put me in a, in a dark spot for a long time. I got very depressed. And it didn't help with my bipolar because I just felt useless and I couldn't see go out. I would sometimes be able to get out to have some sunlight on me or crawl out to my fire escape. But uh, yeah, it put me in a really, in a really bad bad place until I was able to finally get a cane and get walking again. So it was definitely definitely a lot of trials and tribulations with that. I wouldn't suggest it. I would never do it again. I never ever want to do that again. But <laughs> it uh it definitely it definitely put me through some hell. But I got through it, which was nice, especially with kind of falling into that depression. It definitely pushed me even further to go get a therapist and get some help with 
with what I've been struggling with, which is good because now I'm on a regular regimen. I really do suggest even normal people that don't have anything wrong with them get someone to talk to. You know, once a week, I have to do it once a week, but get someone to talk to once a month, every two weeks or something. It really pushed me to make sure I have all these things in place to give me help and make sure that, you know, that doesn't happen again, whether I get hit by a car or not. Sure. Well, I mean, and how long had it been? Had it had it been since we had talked last when your depression got really bad? I mean, when after you got hit, had that been happening on and off since we talked last, or had it been a good long stretch um, since you'd gone to that place again, where where you get really where your bipolar just goes out of control? And and uh, I mean, was that kind of in and out? like it like it had been before or was it just like bam all of a sudden back into it um it was it was actually it was pretty good for the trip um that was fine i think i I was still microdosing at that time okay but i still i still had my episode still happened i think um there was a lot of distraction with a lot of things going on but Mm -hmm. i did i it was still you know some manic episodes some depressive episodes that lasted for different amounts of time and it was just that accident really just set it over the edge and made it worse because it was even harder for me to get out of it because I'm stuck in my apartment I'm alone you know my husband still has to work what what is there for me to do so yeah that kind of just made it it just made it a lot worse it definitely exasperated it so that didn't help at all. But the, there's still episodes. Now I haven't had one in about two months, which is great. So the therapy's definitely helping. Yeah. I decided to trust my doctor and get some legal drugs and be on the prescription regimen, which I have fought for a very long time and I've always been against. But I promised I would try it out, even though I still stand by the psychedelics and those ancient medicines. I did promise then that I would try the legal way, try something that if I could get caught with some muckle in jail. Yeah. You but, promised uh, too, your doctor? Yeah, my my doctor, just because it's, I mean, it's also very hard to trip every week or once a month. And, you know, microdosing, you have to stay very on it. And there's been a lot of situations where things have just gotten really bad and really dangerous and I spent some time in a psychiatric hospital over the summer because things have gotten so bad. So. I want to talk about that a little bit too because I saw you had posted about that too and I, I hadn't seen that before but um, when, when when did you when did you go so when you went to the the hospital the the, the psychiatric hospital had you quit microdosing and were on prescription meds then or were you still microdosing then? So I had stopped microdosing and I wasn't on medication. So probably the worst thing I could have done. Oh there shit! Was... What happened? Why? I, I think the thing. I think I just got busy. I got distracted. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't taking care of my mental health. I wasn't every single day making sure that's something I need to keep it. And you do. People get distracted, and maybe I thought I could be a normal person. I, maybe I thought that it would just go away or, you know, I thought I was, I could have thought I was better that I didn't have to be so strict with the microdosing and you don't realize it for a little while and you don't realize that things are getting bad. This goes for anyone, anyone, you know, that is struggling or seems to have a normal life. Your mental health is key. It's just as 
important as going to the gym. It's just as important as eating correctly. And with all the things I was doing, school, a new job, the wedding, I just, I was ignoring my mental health. I wasn't, I wasn't attending to it. And especially for someone who does have a mental illness like me, that really took a toll. And to the point where I just was so depressed and just drinking to make that better because that was my job and that was what I was surrounded by. And it just got to a point where I had to go somewhere and I had to, you know, I just had to have someone help me. Just the depression got way too bad. It was dangerous for me to be alone or by myself. So I was there for a few days and then, uh, and then I came home and they are the ones who, who set me up with a doctor to make sure I'm seeing someone regularly. It was a wake up call, you know, that that is not something, especially me, but anyone else, you can't put that on a back burner. You can't let a job make you put that on the back burner. There's no one, my boss, no one that can tell me that that's not, that's not important. Yeah. There can't be anything, no school, no nothing, no relationships that that you should, you know, sacrifice your, your own mental health. Because that was a really hard lesson to learn. But now I do take care of myself as much as I can, and I won't let myself forget about me because you can't forget about you. Yeah, absolutely. And you so you checked yourself in then? You called and checked yourself in or you had Zach take you in or what? I called and I and you I called. checked myself in. So what? I, and I'm just curious because I don't. I mean, you see this stuff stigmatized in TV and movies and all that shit. When someone goes to a a psychiatric hospital, like a, they call it a 5150, the the 72 hour hold or whatever. Um, uh, I don't. Remember. It's not fun. Yeah, what it's what not, is that, what is a day like the, in that place like? Like what an actual from actually being there for people that are listening that may be afraid to reach out because of what they see in the movies and shit like that. I know I know it's not fun, but what is a day in that place like? I mean, you're just for me, I was there, uh doctors would come in and talk to me and ask me how I was feeling. I get my history and everything like that, but they're just they're just but basically cuz what I did, I was only there for uh, a couple, I think two or two or three days. But they're really just talking to you and trying to figure out what the problem is and figure out, keep you somewhere safe, so in this room and there's nothing you can hurt yourself with in there. And they're just keeping you safe and talking to you. And I called my family in and my parents and, and Zach so they could come talk to me. Um, and basically from there, they just try and figure out what the best, treatment will be if you know you can leave if you're safe they'll call doctors find one you can afford find one that your insurance takes they'll set you up with an appointment before they release you but it's not and it sucks because this country is the way it is and you don't have to be afraid to go there it is always the best case scenario you know if i stayed home by myself i probably wouldn't be talking to you right now <sighs> so it is good to do that but I'm not going to say that it was fun. I'm not going to say that it was great. And it didn't freak me out walking around, seeing all the people there in different stages of different illnesses. Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. If I was a celebrity or if I had the money, maybe I could have gone somewhere super nice. But it was like a little vacation, but no, it's, it's not fun. And it's definitely, I think due to 
the health care in this country. We I mean, even if you go to a hospital, regular hospital, it's not fun. Nothing's great. Everything's slow. It's, you have to pay thousands of dollars to be there. I'm still paying off medical bills for being there. But I mean, if you're afraid to go, you should be. If you really are at the point where you're considering going somewhere to get help, mm-hmm. you should be more afraid of being alone. You should be more afraid of trying to white knuckle it and get through it. And it was, it was embarrassing having to call my family to tell my little sisters what had to happen. But I got over that a long, a long time ago. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed about talking about it anymore. Even with my boss and people at work, I don't care. You want to ask me where it was? I'll tell you where I was. And I'll, I'll tell you without flinching because it's, like I've said a million times over, I went to the hospital and got my broken foot fixed. Everyone knew about it. No one judged me. But I had to go to the hospital because I had a really bad breakdown, a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. I don't care. It's not, I'm not afraid of that. You know, no one should feel weird about it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But it is stigmatized. And that's why, you know, I, I asked because I've not. I've not been there myself, and I've had you know friends that have gone um, in, and the ones that uh, the ones that I could have asked uh, eventually uh, killed themselves, and I wasn't able to have that conversation at any point. Um, and then the other the other one that went just bailed out and just started traveling the country homeless, and is still out there somewhere. So I never, you know, I never got to ask, you know, from someone who's actually been there to kind of destigmatize it a bit. And, and, you know, that's, and that's why I asked. Um, and I appreciate that because, you know, it's, I'm absolutely sure it was not fun and probably, you know, uh, being under a microscope like that too, uh, seems like it would create some anxiety where everyone just constantly asking you how you're doing and, and you know, being in that environment where there's not a lot of outside stimulation, just all people talking to you, like focusing on you when, you know, like you said, you should be afraid to be alone at that point if you're at the point of needing help. Um, Are you enjoying the show? If you are, definitely head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you're listening to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, throw us a five-star rating or a review. We really appreciate that. It helps the show out big time. So like I said, if you are enjoying the show, head on over and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was really frustrating. I'm grateful uh, that I went and they set me up with my doctor. And it is always, it was especially crazy talking to the doctors there, but also to the therapist. And now, now I've been seeing her for a while, so she's getting to know me a lot better. My psychiatrist is getting to know me a lot better. But it's always been really crazy talking to doctors because I've been dealing with this since I was 12. So it's been, yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been 13 years of episodes and 13 years of multiple suicide attempts and somehow you know i'm still here and i've survived them so it's always weird being under that microscope because they ask me my history and they don't know if this is something that just started happening in a year but when i talk to them about when it started and how long it's been and that i've been dealing with this without getting help professionally for my own reasons for my fear of doctors and 
the way they do treat people and the money that it costs to get help. But being under that microscope, whether it be under my psychiatrist, my therapist, or in, uh, in the ward, it's always funny. To me, it's fucked up, but it's funny because when they ask me my history and I explain it to them, they're like, what the fuck have you been doing for 13 years? And I remember when I first sat down with my psychiatrist and he's so confused just because they went through so many things with drug addiction at a young age, which is really common with people with bipolar. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there talking to him and he kind of asked, have I ever tried to kill myself? And I was like, yeah, the, you know, the first time was when I was 13 or 14 years old. He's like the first time. And I kind of explained it that it's, it's always happened. It's always been, you know, every few years it gets so bad and it's another, it's usually another method, but it's another suicide attempt. And he's just, he just puts his pen down and he's just looking at me. And the same reaction from every doctor I tell. And he's like, you've never gotten help. I was like, no, I've never gotten help. He's like, why haven't you gotten help? 13 years, you know, the fact that I'm even talking to you is really amazing because you should be. You, know, you shouldn't be here right now. Yeah, and it's and you, you and it's weird because when I'm saying it out loud, of the things I've been through and the things that I felt, and especially the amount of times I've come very close to dying at my own hand, and the things I've put my family through by almost doing that and just being another Facebook poster, being another Twitter post, and yeah, a bunch of people saying that they were my friends and. They couldn't believe this happened. It was just, it's just the same thing. It's another, it would have been another suicide story. and My story would have been over and people would have talked about it for a few months and then forgotten about it. So whenever I am under that microscope, doctors have always been confused. And I never, I never had an answer for them. The times when I was growing up and I was young and I was hurting myself and having these episodes, no one really knew what it was. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame my parents. They blame themselves, but I don't really blame them because even, even when I was hurting myself, a lot of people, especially back then, just think that's a phase and think every kid does that. Mm-hmm. And when it was happening when I was older, I just thought it was stress or it was pressure. Even when I kind of found out it was bipolar, I thought I could avoid it. So it's always been really amazing sitting down with these doctors and them being really sounded that I'm even even sitting in front of them. So that's just another reminder that you need to go when you think it's bad. Yeah. You, 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 need, to, you need to get help because I'm a very I'm a very special case and the fact that I'm still here and <clears throat> over the past few years of struggling with this I have lost a lot a lot of people that I know or a lot of people that I was familiar with to suicide and it's just so rampant and I am really, sometimes I feel really guilty because I'm still here and they're not. And I shouldn't be. So I feel like, I think that's why going back to how you say that I do a lot of things and I accomplish them. Or when I say I'm going to do something, I am good at it and I'm successful at it. I think a little bit of it is because I'm on borrowed time. I've been on borrowed time since since I was 14, since the first time that I almost took all my time away, yeah, you know, so yeah. I have to be successful and I have to, I have to do things to make me happy and I have to love people a lot mm. and I have to, I have to have a good life because as far as I'm concerned, 
and should have been gone 10 years ago. Man. I remember I remember you telling me about that and the the time Zach was with you and basically saved your life basically and and uh I mean that that was intense like uh, being that close to something like that and I mean just the the yeah I mean that's an interesting way to look at it that you're on borrowed time you know and and that that motivator to you know accomplish what you can while you're here um I was thinking when you said that you had lost some people, did you know August Ames? Yeah, I did. You um, did. Yeah, I was curious I after her. that happened. I was going to text you, but I was like, no. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not. So I, I'm not like I said. Like if I, you know, was gone, there'd be a lot of people like this. I'm not going to say I was really close to her, and I was good friends. But I did know her, and anytime I had been with her, worked with her, met her on set or at an event. She was always, she was just, there was a lot of people in that industry that whatever behave a certain way, that industry will bring it. It's, a, it's an interesting industry. I won't speak ill on it because I've done nothing but loved my time in it. Yeah. And I'm proud of what I, I'm very proud of what I did and what I put out. But she was not like a lot of the people in that industry. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's what hurts me the most i know no one deserves it but there are a lot of a lot of people that don't deserve it more mm-hmm. and uh from what i can see in her and just the way she treated others she was she was she was one of those people yeah man yeah i've just seen so many so many Oh, mental health at this point in time is is a, a hot topic and and something that's you know it's been around forever as far as whether people want to acknowledge it or not and it just seems to be on the forefront now where you know a lot of people are coming forward and admitting I mean I, that's the wrong word but coming forward and and talking about it um, versus shoving it under the rug and that's some, one thing that from our last conversation that really inspired me to this day is, is just how open you are with, with your situation. And, and I just love seeing all the awesome things you're doing. And, uh, you know, that was a big reason I wanted to have you back on the show is just to like catch up, see what you're doing now. And, and, uh, you know, you've always just been super honest and super, you're just a super special person. And, and, uh, you know, I appreciate all that. And, and I want to talk about, um, you know, as far as we're going to what you're doing now, um, opening this restaurant, I want, I want to shift gears a little bit because, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you about the hospital, but you're opening a restaurant. Are you opening it with Zach? Is it, is it uh, you and Zach together? No. So it's, uh, it's that it's a sister restaurant of the restaurant that Zach works at right now. Okay. So, uh, the chef and owner, and then the other, the owner, his partner, are opening a finer dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. They have one in Brooklyn. They have a, they have a, they have one in Brooklyn. They have a small kind of casual counter serve place in Manhattan that's all Peruvian. The same one that Zach works at's all Peruvian. So now we're we're going for a fine dining place. We actually wanna we wanna aim for a Michelin star. So this is going to be a cuisine called Nikkei, which is a Japanese and Peruvian fusion. And there's, I believe, only one other restaurant in all five boroughs that does that, but they don't do it the way that that we're doing it. So it's going to be an extremely brand new concept for this entire city. 
which is great. We're kind of doing something no one out here has done before. So it's going to be Japanese Peruvian, our wine uh, list that we're working on and curating. It's all going to be coastal wines. So you think about Japan, it's, it's coastal. You think about Peru, we want to do these beautiful, really mineral, fresh, saline tasting, just coastal wines. It's going to go with this really great kind of fish-based Peruvian-Japanese fusion, which is going to be really, really great. So I'm on the management team. I'll be in charge of being the service manager, making sure everything on the floor and all my staff is trained properly and everything is a tight ship on top of being the, the sommelier on the floor as well. Man, that's fascinating. So, like, what 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 all goes into that as far as, I mean, prepping for something of that magnitude, especially in New York? It's insane. I mean, the space is still under construction, and we're, we're going to be opening at the end of the month. So the space is still under construction. Oh, my God. Figuring, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tight. You're figuring out the wine list. Obviously, you're doing menu tastings to get the food down wine pairings with that menu to make sure all the wine is down, ordering the wine, setting up the cellar. And this is mine and my mine and my AGM standpoint. That's not including the cocktail program and the two women who are ahead of that. And it's great because um so the chef and the, the owner, those are those are both men, but my whole management team, we're all women, which is great. And it's not being sexist saying that I'm glad we're all a bunch of women, but it's really, really empowering all these meetings we're having and all this work we're doing and all the training it's led by four really strong women, which is great on the cocktail perspective, the head bartender, the AGM and then me. So it's, it's, it's all great. It's a running joke of the day that, because I see these people more than anything, but it's a running joke. The day we all, we all get our periods, the whole restaurant is going <laughs> to, is going to get a, we're all going to sync up and everyone's going to get their ass kicked once a month. <laughs> it's going to, it's oh, going to be God. great. There's just going to be, there's going to be one week out of the month where everyone is going to get, is going to have a really, really hard week, but no, it's really, it's really oh, inspiring. God. It's really inspiring working with working with this team of just just really talented and, and really strong women. And we are. We're running it great. Men are great, and they're amazing, and I love to have sex with them. But there's just something about having an all-women team, and we're just on it constantly, which yeah. is great. <laughs> it's good. You're gonna have to have locks on the doors for the chef and well, yeah, and yeah, we're gonna. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be funny. I can't, I can't wait for this. It's already happening. It's already. I can already see it happening. We'll get together. We'll, we'll have our weeks, but it'll be, it'll be funny. No one's, no one's gonna be able to go to anyone. No one's gonna be able to slip up that week. Yeah, not, we're not gonna. None of us in the house are gonna be having it. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Have you seen that movie, The Slam and Salmon? No, I haven't. Have you seen like Super Troopers and those those movies? No, what are they about? Oh my god. Okay, so it's this comedy troupe that does they do like a there's a movie called Beer Fest and Super Troopers and then The Slam and Salmon and The Slam and Salmon is about a restaurant owned by an ex-boxer, like a champion boxer, uh who's the big dude from Green Mile. Um mm-hmm. and he's they just call him Champ. And uh, the the slam and salmon is his is his nickname or whatever. Anyway, it, it's all these it's hilarious restaurant stuff. Like they have to basically make 
this certain amount of sales one night in one night to make up for whatever's going on. And just the fucking shit that goes on in this movie is absolutely hilarious. And I think you would love it from a restaurant perspective. Um, but yeah, it's just this, this huge comedy, comedy troupe that makes these movies and they're all always in all the movies at different characters and shit. But anyways, the slam and salmon, you should check it out. You and you and Zach would probably laugh your asses off. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have to watch that now. It's a lot. It's a, Honestly, I, sometimes when I have really hard nights, I just wonder why I do this to myself. Because there are some nights I just go home and I want to cry. Some nights I just want to scream. Some nights I don't understand how some people wake up and get dressed in the morning with the way they behave in establishments. They're so... There's so many other parts, especially because I've never been in a management role and I've never been in this role where I am in charge of my staff and I do need to be a role model for yeah. these people. I do need to make sure that everyone has a good time and we're all giving the best service and making something really special that we're putting here. We're growing this new child out and we're putting it in the best city in the world. We want it to be great, but I've never been in this position of responsibility. So it's going to be even harder, but I'm going to have to keep, keep my shit together even more so yeah you know you can be you can be a server and kind of have your you know have your breakdowns and realize that this job is not for everyone and it's that's why a lot of people don't do it for a career i remember when i first started serving i was like why the fuck am i doing this you just you do you get you get treated a certain way or things happen or the hours are crazy you never see your friends you never have a day off you are up till two in the morning you get home at four it's just why would anyone ever do this but there's always there's a saying that if you work in restaurants you are either crazy or you love it and usually only crazy people love it because it's not (laughs) it's not a normal fucking job but i do i realized especially when i was offered out of work for so long during vacation out of work when I was disabled and finally able to get back into it. And I did, I had a, I had a different job right after I had been disabled because I couldn't go back into restaurants right away. And it was a normal, just daytime job. I was out by maybe 10 at the latest. And after working that, I realized that it's just, it's not my thing. Yeah. It's just not, it's not my thing. I don't know if it's because I've done it for so long or I think it's really just because I love it. And I've found that that's, where I'm supposed to be and where I can really make an impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, some people were just not meant to, to, you know, do certain things, but some people, you know, in your situation, like, like you said, you love this, this is what you want to do. I mean, and the, the cool thing about it is, I mean, dealing with it with your, your bipolar and everything else, putting up with this stress and, and everything else. I mean, it could, it could, potentially be beneficial i would think just from having to i have to get this done i have to do this i have to do this maybe maybe it would help you know what i mean like a healthy stress i guess where it's not necessarily like dragging you down but you know able to lift you up a little bit from seeing what you've accomplished you know it's definitely both it's definitely a stressor and i have to be very careful but it's also it's also definitely keeps me focused and keeps me on my toes and I was very especially when I got brought on to this team I was very upfront with my with my AGM about my bipolar we went out for a couple of business lunches and 
I spoke to her. I let her know right off the bat, you know, that this is a part of my life and I will be a hundred percent honest with her. I will always be open with her about what's going on with me. And she appreciated the honesty, but of course, as a businesswoman, she flat out came out. She's like, will this affect your job and will this affect your performance? Because I need to know. And I let her know that I do everything I can in my power to be healthy and keep everything on the right track. And I love my job and my team enough to where I will not let it affect my work. But I let her know that if we're going to start out this business relationship together, it needs to start out with honesty. And I'm not going to make the mistake of my other jobs and hide it and take sick days and not let them know why I'm taking them or not let them know what's going on. If you know something's going on or something happens at work, they need to know that I will come to them and I will be honest about it. And I, that's why I do talk about it and I do encourage other people. Like if their bosses don't understand or if they don't take it seriously, they don't either you know, give them the chance to work on it or let them be open about it. You should not be working for that person. And that's just more encouragement that people need to understand who they're working for and understand, or if they're a boss, understand someone coming to them and being open about it. That this is this is how this move this movement starts. This is how it starts becoming normal and people start talking about it. I don't sit there and say, Oh, I'm bipolar, you know, this is an excuse for me to work less. Yeah. I just start out the conversation with that because the last thing we need to do is find out that I struggle with this five years into a business relationship and I've possibly, you know, caused some kind of harm to myself or or to my job performance. Mm-hmm. So it was it was scary to start that off right off the bat. And it's always I've gotten very used to saying it, you know, saying I'm bipolar, saying I have a mental illness. It doesn't I can say those words now to people. But it was very important to me to start off this endeavor and make sure I I don't go around telling anyone else my I don't want my staff to know I don't want you know, the whole world to know, but the person I work with the closest and the person I answer to, she, she deserves to know. And I think it's important that, that everybody understands that, that if they're out there struggling with this, you know, it's just talk about it. It's, it's all right. You get fired for it. One, it's illegal. And two, fuck that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. And I mean, it, man, you're doing so much cool shit. That's awesome. And, uh, I mean, opening a restaurant in New York alone just seems terrifying just because there's so much already there. There's so much uh, good and bad. And, you know, just the clientele is going to be interesting. And, and uh, man, I mean, and one other thing I wanted to touch on, too, um, while I had you, going through therapy like you are now, you're on a prescription regimen versus uh, microdosing. So you're on a legal uh, regimen. That you've, it seems like you've gotten figured out uh, over the, the months trying to find the right thing. Um, with the therapy, are you finding out, are you learning more about yourself or are you just learning how to deal with what you already know? Does that make sense? I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a little bit of both. I'm figuring out a lot about myself. It's very, I think it's weird because you, you have to be very honest with this with this person it doesn't work if you go in there and that's what what happened the first few weeks you know if you go in there and you try and say certain things to be viewed a certain way or say things you don't want to be judged or you always uh, for some reason i think it's just a human it's a human reflex to try and put out your best face to everyone yeah and that's not how you get help 
So, you know, once she started to get to know me more, once I wasn't afraid to come with her, come to her with bad things about me or things that are happening or things I couldn't handle or things I did wrong, I am starting to learn things about myself. I'm starting to learn a lot about how my childhood has affected me, about how I was raised affects who I am as an adult. So I am getting help with things I already know about me and my personality, but I am figuring out, I'm figuring out a lot, a lot about myself. And it was, and it was hard because I really, I never, I never wanted to be on medication. I still, I take it, but I still, it's not my first choice. I don't like the idea of it. I know it helps a lot of people. It seems it has helped me um, the past few months. But it's also another kind of double-edged sword is because I'm an artist and I'm a writer and I've been, you know, this painful, struggling artist, this poet and this writer since I can, since I can write, but I've always written my best things in the throes of an episode. I've always created my best art when I'm really manic, one end of the spectrum or really depressed because it's just been this emotion And I've lived with these crazy emotions. It's never been normal for me. It's never been, oh, I'm happy. It's always been, I'm fucking crazy. I'm manic. It's dangerous. It's never been, oh, I'm a little sad. It's always been depression. So my my idea of emotions are incorrect. My ideas of what a normal day-to-day life and what feeling things is is not what a normal person feels. And I've been dealing with that for so long. That's been my reality. That's been normal. And my fear and what I do see happening a little bit is now that I'm getting used to these meds is I do feel like a normal person. I'm assuming this is what a normal person feels like. And I talked to my psychiatrist about it. He's like, yeah, this is, this is what a normal person feels like when that chemical imbalance is kept normal. Mm-hmm. But, and I should be happy for that because my husband is living a better life and I'm living a better life and I can focus on things more, but they're, I've had these personalities in my head, this different Rachel that's very crazy and manic and this different Rachel that's very angry and this Rachel that's depressed. I've had all these personalities and I've gotten to know them so well and I've lived with them forever and it's crazy, but I know them and they're all gone now, mostly, you know, so I don't know if I've lost a part of myself. I don't know if I've, I was talking to my sister, I was like, I would rather be you know, this struggling artist who killed herself that be a normal person and not, and not feel artistic anymore. So I don't know if it's just because this is also new. I don't know if it's just getting used to the medication, but if I do lose those personalities and those mood swings and those things that I've known for so long, you know, I am afraid that I feel like I've lost a part of myself. It's great. I might be normal, but it's always been a struggle for me. And, for that to kind of start to dissipate. It's weird because even when I am happy, I'm not sure if it's happiness because I'm so used to it being exacerbated. Yeah, I'm questioning. Mm -hmm. It's like I wake up and I have a good day and I'm like, am I having a good day? You know, it doesn't feel euphoric. It doesn't feel... It doesn't feel crazy, you know, yeah. or if I get if I get a little angry, I'm like, am I angry? Because I know what it's like to be rageful. So it's it's very it's different. I can get a little sad, but I'm confused because I'm not I'm not depressed on the verge of a suicide attempt. It's, yeah, it's, and I I don't 
I want to give it a chance and I don't want to, I don't want to feel like I'm losing a part of myself. But that was, that is a thing that a lot of people I know talk about it. My, my dad's on antidepressants and one of my sisters is as well. So that is a part that, mm-hmm. that they talk about. They don't, I, it doesn't make me feel like a zombie, but I do think that that's where that kind of description of people who are bipolar, mentally ill on medication, they always say it makes them feel like a zombie. And I'm sure there are some meds that do kind of just flatten you out totally. But yeah. I think what that is, is we are so used to extremes that feeling normal feels like nothing. So it is, it is scary. I do, I do hope I am still the person I was before, but I, I lost it. That's a, my sister had told me a quote is everybody would really love to have a Van Gogh painting in their apartment, but they would never want to have Van Gogh himself in their apartment because mm-hmm. artists are crazy. We have gotten some of the best art from madness. Yeah. Just because that's a, it's an outlet. It's a beautiful way that, hurting people or mad people can create this just astounding art and these beautiful things and these things that touch other people to a really deep extent because they're coming out of this very raw deepest kind of part of humanity and our craziness so it is it's it's i have to make a choice it's safer to go this route but i have to find out you know would i rather end up in the hospital again but still feel the way I have felt my whole life or do I want to go down this road of being you know a whole person kind of getting this help so that still is a struggle I'm never going to say oh I want meds everything's perfect I feel great and I'm happy I wake up and me and my husband's relationship is so much better because it's not crazy all the time he doesn't wake up not knowing who I'm going to be am I going to scare him that day or am I going to be okay? Yeah. But it is, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't a little scary and it wasn't a little, it's just uncharted territory. Sure. I remember you talking about, um, you know, some days you could wake up next to him and feel nothing for him at all or be completely in love. And that hit me pretty hard. Like that's, that's some deep shit there where you could, you know, disassociate that way with someone. But what I was going to ask you is, do you i mean those personalities inherently were you pieces of pieces of you just heightened in extreme right like with basically like you know yeah i'm angry but then there was completely angry rachel or i'm sad and then there's completely sad isn't it don't you think maybe you could find or at least maybe over time find pieces from those personalities that would uh, stop you from missing having the extremes i don't know because i mean some of them some of them were so extreme it was almost like i was a completely different person Mm -hmm. and i think i also think that that it started to fracture so much it just become so different to the point where it did seem like i was different people because i went so long without getting treatment okay so with all those years i think it just got worse and they became very, very different. You, I mean, if you talked to me when I was manic or if you talked to me when I was depressed or you talked to me when I was angry, it was like I was a completely different person. There's certain things that I don't even remember because I think my brain had completely fractured everything and to deal with it because my brain couldn't deal with me waking up one day and not 
caring about my husband or me waking up one day and being really just crazy happy or, you know, being weird or behaving a certain way or being promiscuous for no reason because that's mm-hmm. just one of the, one of the signs of having this manic episode, you know? So I can, I can, I think it's, I can remember those things. I can remember sometimes the way I've acted and the way I felt and I can try and use that in my artistic ability, but there will never be anything like the things I've written when I'm in that episode. What happens so, when you I, read back that writing that you wrote in those episodes? Really, Does it take I, you back? It's fucking insane. I actually, uh, I have this, this one notebook that I, I write down all my poetry in. If I'm, I get stream of consci- consciousness that I'll write in there, poetry, and uh, I was reading back on it because I haven't. I've been pretty normal. I haven't had an episode. And it's scary to be honest because I wanna, I wanna write this book and put together this book that. At first, I wanted to write a kind of a memoir or biography, but I'm not. A lot of my writing isn't. It's not normal like that. It's not fluid. It doesn't. It's very chaotic because yeah. that's what most of my life is. It's been mostly poetry because I can convey emotion better that way. But it's been very chaotic. So I'm going through this book because I'm or this notebook of all my writings because I'm trying to figure out how to how to put it together, and it scares the shit out of me. Because I read, I read this this one poem I had written when I was really manic, and the flow and the cadence, it's all very different. And I flip through another one, and I read one where I was, I was very, very depressed. And the the words, everything is so different. It's kind of like reading a different author, which is scary. It's just, it's weird. I'm like, how did I write this one thing on this one end of the spectrum? And how did I write this other thing? So, I mean, even putting this book together, it's all written by one person. But when you do read it, mm-hmm. it's going its going to read like four different authors wrote it. So going through and kind of seeing that is it's really freaky. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just really – it is that just – I don't worry because sometimes I get goosebumps when I read it because it's just really – really freaky some of my some of my writings especially when i was really mentally just on this really dark edge or this kind of this breaking point of consciousness where i actually wrote i wrote a lot of things in a very childlike perspective because i think i think my consciousness was so overloaded with all these things that were happening is a lot of my art that I put out, a lot of my writings I did were from a childlike perspective because my brain, the last time I remembers being normal is when I was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. So when I write a lot of things, a lot of really childish words or fantasies or the way I, I speak or I write, a lot of it is from a kid's perspective. And I think... What that is is my brain remembering going back to the lab to the first time that it could remember being normal, and then you read a lot of really fucked up, depressed or angry things, and then you read a lot of really kind of one doesn't make sense, you know, manic things. So it's 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 creepy. It's just yeah. It's the only way I can describe it. It's just real creepy to read and I want people to read it and I want to make a book out of it and yes, it's because so I don't I don't know how to put it together but yeah it's just 
and it's hard for me to think of now because I can't, I can remember how I felt, but there's nothing like feeling it in the moment. But I, when I was speaking to my sister about it, how I'm going to deal with this and how I'm going to use this and still be a writer and still make art, write my blog, do all this. She says, you know, this is just going to have to be another part of your journey because the person I am now is very different than who has written those things. Yeah. So it's just basically going to be another, it's just going to be another perspective and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to go with it. Did well. This makes me think back when, because you're talking about in these in these in these episodes, um, the the desire to write and and write this poetry and write these feelings and things like that. When you when you were in your darkest spots, when you when you went and you were you know trying to kill yourself, did you leave a note every time that you would write and write and write like this, or did you leave nothing? No, I I left I left nothing. I think that was the I've never understood that. I don't know if it's because I don't know if it's because I never really tried to kill myself for a reason. You know, I didn't feel like I had to say I had I didn't ever feel like I had to say anything. Oh. It was always a very it was just always a very mechanical thing. It was never, I'm going to kill myself. I need to say goodbye to everyone. It was just mm-hmm. always, my brain shut off. It was just what I had to do. It was, there's no logic. Okay. So I don't, maybe, I think maybe when I was younger, I might have written a little something because that's just, I was young. I didn't, that's apparently what you did when you killed yourself is you wrote someone something. Yeah. There was, uh, there was, I can't even, I don't remember why the episode got so bad. But there was one time, it was over the summer, I think, and I was writing, and I don't know, I don't know why I wrote it or why I posted it, but I posted, I posted this blog, and I don't know if it was a suicide note, but if you do read it, it sounds like it, Uh, and it, it was called Until I Find Peace, and it was just, I was just in this, the darkest spot I had been in a long time, and I was very it came very close to that being the last thing I ever, I ever put online. I and mean, a lot of people talk shit, you know, you post a tweet and, and you take your life for stupid or, you know, you, you do anything on social media and take your life for looking for, for attention. And I don't think that's ever what it was. It was just, I felt like I had to say something and it's just, I don't know if it was more of an outlet. I was feeling all these things and the only way I could get it out, just like musicians, you know, you're feeling all these things. Sometimes the only way you can get it out is to make music. And for for me, the only way I can make sense or function with these feelings is to write. But that was probably the only time. And I left it up. I, I kind of I struggled with leaving it up if I wanted it on my website or not because it was so dark and it was so it could have been the last the last words I ever wrote or that anyone ever read Fuck. so yeah so I know and I thought you know I don't I don't know if I want to keep this up there I don't know if people should read it but I kept it because it's still a part of my journey and yeah I'm still here and had I not been here after I wrote that I would have been glad that I put something out there but I never yeah I mean besides that time I never 
I just never thought to leave it known. It was just always, it was just always a very matter of fact thing. Mechanical, was, like you said. Yeah. It yeah. was always just very, very mechanical. And I just, I have to do this. I'm going to do this. This is, you know, this, there's a voice in my head telling me to do it. I have to, this is the only way the pain is going to stop. I have to do it. And like I said, those were the times when I, all last resort, I have to call and I have more people I know, more people that are there to help me know what I'm going through or like it happened this summer, last case scenario, there's no one around, there's no one I, you know, no one I can go to, you know, husband's at work, I can't call mm-hmm. anyone, it's late, you know, I have to, I had to go somewhere. Yeah. It just... Well, just and then I get tired of it. And it gets exhausting. You needing help from people, but they need help. Yeah. And I'm so fucking done with anybody thinking that it's laziness or anybody thinking, you know, oh, I didn't, you know, I've, I've been through things. I'm older than you, or millennials are lazy because they're constantly talking about <laughs> their mental health, or they're talking about how things are hard, or they're talking about their feelings all the time. You know, and anyone says that says that. It's fucking ignorant. It's yeah. just absolutely, it has nothing to do with my age. It has nothing to do with being a millennial. The reason all these people have so many fucked up problems is because this has been hidden for so long. And, you know, you can say you're hardened and you can say you're a badass and you went through this and that and you never had to see a therapist or you never had to have a safe space and you never had to, you know, talk about certain things that make you feel a certain way or things that affect you. You know, there's a line for everything. You know, yeah. yeah, you need to have your shit together and be responsible for yourself. And you do need to sometimes be a hard ass, but you need help. And people need help. And it's not, it's not okay to tell people they don't because everyone goes through life. And I would like someone to show me one person who's gotten by really well and in a mentally healthy way who hasn't gotten help. Yeah. I agree 100%. And it's, I mean, Oh my God. I, it's just, it's always so intense talking to you because it, you're very real and I, I just appreciate it so much. And I, I, I know I said it last time and, and continue to say it, but I mean, just, it's inspiring talking to you and, and hearing your story and hearing, you know, what you're feeling and just how open you are. And like, you know, last time so many emails came in with people, you know, with feedback from, last episode and you know i i just truly appreciate that and i know my listenership does as well and uh i mean i i just wish you all the luck in the world with the restaurant and everything else and and figuring out which way you want to go with your medications and and with your art and your blog and your your everything i mean it's just uh it's inspiring to watch and I don't, I don't want to keep you up any later. I, I, I know it's, I, I'm in Oregon, so I'm three hours behind you. So it's not bad for me, but, um, I don't want to keep you up much later, but I just wanted to say thanks again for, for coming on and, and, uh, and giving your story and, and continuing the story that we left last time. So no, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad that, that you wanted to talk again. I did. I got, I actually, I, I love your listeners and, I got some emails too, and I haven't been able to get to all of them. So I wanted to apologize to everyone for that, but I do read them, and I do love and appreciate you know anything I hear from you or anything I hear from them because I do think it's really important. You know, obviously, you know how I feel about being public about this and talking about it, but it's very important for 
people to reach out to other people, whether that be, you know, me or you or anyone. Um, I know it sucks because I'm so busy and I can't give the you know time to every email I get, but I do read them and I do appreciate them and I do encourage just people to keep talking about it and keep looking for help, whether that means continuing with psychedelics, researching psychedelics more, you know, if you want to go in the, in the way of meds, I just, whatever you think is going to be safest. And as long as you're getting help from professionals and as long as you're being open and being real, that's, that's the most important thing. It's just, it's just being real. It's finding out what's authentic for you not being afraid to talk about it, being proud of it, including the bad stuff, including the flaws. Like, you know, you can ask me if I think I'm perfect. I don't. And I think that's what makes me perfect is that I'm not perfect. And everyone needs to realize that. And that it goes for everyone in their life. Everybody you love, don't expect them to be perfect. Is my husband perfect? No, he's fucked up in some ways. But I love, I love all of it. You have to love the flaws. If I didn't, love the flaws of myself I wouldn't be successful I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be authentic you know to be authentic you have to you have to accept the bad things too and I think that's that's one of the most important things I could I could say to anyone is it's okay that you're that you're messed up but realize it you know and try and be your best self but when you do fall down and when something does come up that makes you remember that you're broken it's it's okay like i said the last time it's okay it's okay to be broken you just have to be okay with it that's what makes you a stronger person pretending to have your shit together is fake i don't like people like that i don't like people that always act like they have their shit together it's not it's just not my thing and it's not cool and it's not making you strong it's just making you it's making you like everyone else i agree I agree, and very well said, and, and uh, man, I appreciate it a lot, Rachel. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rachel Midori. The second time she's been on the show, even more incredible than the first time. I uh, hope you guys got something great out of it. Email me, let me know what you thought. Um, you know, uh, hopefully this will help people in their fight with depression and, uh, you know, coming out of it and making something great like she's done you know they're opening a restaurant it's it's blowing up for her it's awesome i'm so glad even with you know the backsliding every once in a while she comes back stronger every time and it's really inspiring so big thanks to rachel and shout out to her for coming back on the show um, as one of our favorite guests and uh hopefully all you people that emailed me asked me to get her back on the show we're able to hear this episode and get something out of it and uh, so, yeah, a really big props to Rachel. Thank you for coming on. Uh, guys, check out our sponsors, StumptownMattress.com, ArtistFlags.com, Rockabilia.com, a whole bunch of websites there for you guys to check out. But like I said in the intro, you know, Stumptown Mattress has been fantastic with us. Artist Flags, one of the quickest turnaround times I've ever seen on a great product. And Rockabilia.com has been supporting the show for a long time. Big thanks to them. Sorry my voice is a little scratchy. I'm still getting over the flu. But uh, wanted to get this episode out for you guys. So uh, I'm going to cut it short here and keep healing up. So, guys, thank you so much for coming back week after week. Really appreciate it. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. And as always, we'll see you on the radio.
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of that one time on tour, part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with guests about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of The Offspring, Thrice, Rancid, Rise Against, and more. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.